There's the fun pieces of finding all these friends, mutual friends, siblings, everyone knowing each other. But what's really important is my 20-year-old daughter still has her father around to be with her because I was fortunate enough to advocate for myself, which I couldn't do all my life. I had no medical history. People would say, well, you know, is there heart disease in your family? I don't know. I'm a doctor. So what a valuable piece it was for me to get that medical information. And when I was having a heart problem, we were able to fix that. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to meet Joe, who called me from Assident, Massachusetts, just south of Boston. He shares his pride for being an adopted person, the challenge to make his way through his physical limitations as a kid, and the demons he removed from his life before attempting reunion. Facing secondary rejection, he had to overcome the anger and hurt to even attempt the next reunion decades later. When he did, Joe learned that his siblings in different families were friends. His fathers had friends in common and that everything in his life was connected in ways he hadn't realized. This is Joe's journey. Joe lives in what's known as the south coast of Boston, between Fall River and New Bedford. His accent isn't as thick as some people's, but you could definitely tell he's a native Bostonian. Joe said he's listened to a lot of adoption-related podcasts. He's part of many adoption support groups, and he leads a monthly group there in Boston, so he's familiar with the stories of adoptees. Talking about his own adoption, Joe said he was pretty fortunate. When he was born, he developed a staph infection that led to some medical conditions, but his parents brought him home anyway. And again, they didn't, they didn't have a ton of money, but they knew what was ahead of them, that they needed to get my, my legs fixed. But they were willing to do that, and they were wonderful folks, very caring. And then my mom was going to have another baby, and it was stillborn a couple of years later, and I wanted, I wanted a sibling. I wanted a baby sister, and they said, well, you know, it went wrong. And I said, well, well let's go where I came from, and, and, and let's pick one out, like you picked me out. And I got myself, I got a brother who was three, three and a half years younger than me. It was also adopted. And then lo and behold, a couple of years later, they had two children, bang, bang. Uh, Is that right? Yeah. So there's four of us. And honestly, it was a family. There was no separation. I've heard stories where people felt broken or they didn't belong or anything like that. We didn't have that. My brother Louis and I didn't have that. We were... We got, we got just as much joy and just as much punishment all together. So my adopted life was fabulous. My extended family, everything was all about being included. And I think that, you know, you, you hear a lot of stories that, you know, adoptees aren't included. And it's sad because, you know, we didn't choose to be adopted. I mean, we're into this because of the circumstances. And then you dig up the circumstances later in life. But my parents always had a lot of respect for my biological parents. They never spoke badly about them, which made me happy later on in life that I grew up with respect for my biological parents as well. I remember as a kid, you know, worrying about my biological mother saying, 
I really hope that she knows I'm okay, that, you know, nice people adopted me, and, you know, they got my, my life fixed, and they're taking good care of me, and I have a good life. I was, I was, I was always worried about that, you know, that they wouldn't know that I was okay. And I think that, I got that from my folks, I think, because they were, you know, they were very concerned, too, that, you know, my biological parents were treated with respect and understood the loss that they had, too. That's really fascinating. I mean, you've, it sounds like what you've said is your adoptive parents were so supportive that you actually perhaps learned a little bit of empathy for your natural mother earlier, perhaps, than you might have normally. I did. Yeah. I did. You know, you're 100% correct that they, 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 they had so much respect, and it, and it went through a lot of different things, but it was really important later on in the life of my brother Louie and I to understand how respectful they were. So that we did have empathy and understanding for what my biological parents went through, you know, having to do what they needed to do at the time. I was adopted in 1958. My biological mother was 16. My biological father was 17. So back in 58, you didn't keep children. I mean, things changed over the years into where there was more resources and understanding in the 70s and 80s where, you know, teen teens were keeping their, their children. Back in 58, they didn't do that. You were given up for adoption so that the, the child was given a better opportunity and the biological parents were given a, an opportunity to grow up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Something else interesting that you said was that you <laughs> you wanted a sister and yeah. you basically said to your parents, like, oh, let's." it almost sounds like a shopping trip, like, let's go back and go where you got me, you know? But that's the vision you get as an adoptee when you've been, quote-unquote, picked out special or selected or we went, got you, you know, it's like you went shopping. You went, you know what you were looking for, and that's the the child you wanted. And and that's how I I was picked out. Therefore, when it was time to go get a sibling, we were going to do the same thing. We are going to go pick out my brother, and that's what we did. That's really funny. As you were speaking, I had to chuckle to myself because – this funny story came to mind as you said that you wanted a sister, but then you got a brother. My wife was making my son, who's now 13, he must have been about seven or eight when he said this. She made him dinner and she didn't ask him for his input on it. So she just put it down in front of him and she looked at, he looked at the plate and he looked up at her and he goes, I didn't order this. <laughs> and <I> was, <laughs> I was just thinking, I was just imagining like your little face when you said you wanted a sister and they came home with a brother and you're like, I didn't order this. <laughs> yeah, well, here, here's the thing about it, Damon. Now I tease him when we have our meetings or whatever and the different meetings we go to. I said, you know, I wanted a sister and I get stuck with, you know, the best brother on the planet. I love my brother dearly. You That's know? cool. But I use the word, I tell him, yeah, well, I, you know, I wanted a sister, but I got stuck with him. Yeah. You know, and him and I laugh over it because, you know, we grew up right. We, we, I mean, we were very fortunate. And I, I, I mean, I, I have to tell you something. I, I'm proud to be an adoptee. I'm a proud that I was adopted. I, I carry it with me like a badge because it's an honor to have the parents that I had. And then later on in life to then reconnect with my biological father and see that I probably would have grown up in a, in a very similar family. Joe and I agreed. There's a reconciliation that goes through an adoptee's mind when we decide to search for our biological parents. There's the question of whether we're searching even though our relationship with our adoptive parents is awesome, or 
maybe because the relationship was awful or some combination therein. We ask ourselves if we're expecting a fairy tale ending, will we be able to live with any heartache that comes from searching? And will we be okay with some combination of the good, the bad, and the ugly? Joe's had multiple people ask him about their own reunion journeys over the years, and he's always offered this sound advice. You need to do some soul searching because it's going to get difficult. No matter how good it goes, there are going to be some very difficult times that you, no one else is going to understand what you're going through because they're not adopted. Yep. And I don't think I was 100% prepared. Yeah. I think it's important that anybody listening recognize you will never be 100% ready. No. You know, and that's as with any situation in your life. You know, when you're planning to have a baby, right. it's never the absolute right time. When yep. you're thinking about getting married, it just you kind of just have to pick a date and go for it. And the same yep. thing is through is true with, you know, your professional life and other pieces of personal life and with search and reunion. You're never 100% ready because you can't know everything that's about to come at you. So it's impossible to completely prepare. So I just wanted to sort of touch on that for anybody who might be listening and thinking to themselves, oh man, he's right. I'm not 100% ready. You will never get to be 100% ready. So you might just have to dive in. Because Lord knows what's going to happen. I mean, nobody knows what you're going to, what you're going to find. You're right. When you talked earlier, you said you don't know what you're going to find and you need to be prepared for that. And not everything you can be prepared for, it brings up a whole different bowl of wax. Because this is a lot about emotions. Yeah. And you cannot control all of your emotions and anyone else's emotions that are involved. When Joe was a kid, he got into sports at an early age, even with what he called bad legs. It was a place to distract himself and expend his energy instead of getting into trouble. He used to play with those little green army men, ran around playing cops and robbers, and listened to music and watched TV as a boy. He was an average kid, even though, in many ways, he was different. And fortunately, you know, I was treated just like everybody else, and I always wanted to be like everybody else. You know, you could see I had a disability, but you couldn't see that I was adopted, so I had two things going on there, but it never interfered with my growing up. I was, I was pretty good with it, up until about... I moved. I went from one town to the next town over, and things changed a little bit with, because of my disability. But And I felt bad about that because I was always accepted in East Bridgewater. But when I moved to Bridgewater, the next town over, it got a, it, it was times it got difficult. But for the most part, I tried to let it go, and then I worked my way into being accepted, and things got better as time went on. And, mm-hmm. and I did okay. I That's mean, true. I had a couple of rough spots, but for the most part, I did okay. I got a little ugly for a while. I, t- I took I took a lot of hassles, but you get through that. You know, I mean, it is what it is. You make friends and you move on. But it was it was something again. I wasn't prepared for, and it hurt a little bit. Mm, yeah, I can imagine because those folks in the new town aren't used to you. You haven't grown no. up together, and so you're Correct. just this new kid. And there's, for lack of a better word, something to make fun of. And that's it, really. It, you're exactly right. That's exactly what it was. It was something to pick on the new kid about. Yeah. And I did well. And again, I, I think for the most part, I had a normal childhood. That's cool. You said that if a person looked at you, they could see that you had a disability, but they can't see that you're adopted. Tell me, what if someone looked at you back then, what would they see physically? I don't know how a staph infection 
impacts the I body. I had a loop. I had a, I, my, left, my left hip was decayed, and I had no ball and socket. So I had a limp. Uh, a doctor in Brockton, which was near East Bridgewater, made it so I could at least walk, because they said I would never walk. But he made it, I walked. I played Little League ball. I did all those things. So I, I was kind of slight. I was light. Can't be set now because I'm a fat old guy. But, but, you know, I was, you know, I looked, I, I, I didn't look like anybody in my family, which was, it, it, later on it became a little difficult for me. But, but I was, I was kind of small, and, but I had a limp. Yeah, I got you. Cool. And I had a shoe that had a lift on it, and I was a little embarrassed about that. Yeah, and yeah. Being a 6, 8, 10, 12-year-old kid, you're going to be because you're different. You don't want to be. You want to be like everybody. Joe said he wore his adoption like a badge of honor, and he would tell anyone who would listen that he was an adoptee. He was proud of it, and his openness about adoption made him interesting to other people. Joe mentioned that it became a little more challenging later in life when he started to recognize that he didn't look like his family. I asked him to elaborate on that. He said in his teen years, when kids are really contemplating themselves, how they behave to fit in and what they look like, that he really didn't look like his mom and his dad or his siblings. He didn't look like anybody. And it was a little, a little unnerving to me because I didn't understand why. You know what I mean? And it seems funny to say that, but I couldn't compare. Everybody else could. You know, they go, oh, you look like your sister. I can't tell you how many, when I was growing up, how many sets of twins I hung out with. And they had somebody right beside them that looked like oh, them. Oh, yeah. And I had nobody that looked like me. Right. You know? As I got a little older, I'd look in the mirror and I didn't see anything. Yeah. It's kind of weird to explain. I had, there was no visual in the mirror. Yeah. It, it, that's interesting. In the mirror, not in a family portrait where you're looking at everybody together. You're saying in no. the mirror. In the mirror. It, with my family, I was comfortable with the pictures. But if I looked in the mirror, I had nothing to compare it to. Therefore, I didn't see anything. I had no... I didn't have any look to me. Yeah, I guess in the absence of the family mirror, your uniqueness in the actual mirror makes you really stand alone that's a that's fascinating i've never heard anybody say that's, that before that's very well put damon I, I think that you hit the nail on the head on that that when i was separated from what made me comfortable i now had to be comfortable myself and i wasn't quite there with the fact that i couldn't compare myself to anything so yeah it was that's a little psychologically different yeah that's that's really interesting as joe started getting older his adoptive mother started to express concern that he might actually date one of his siblings or a cousin or something. He thought there was no chance. He was born in Worcester, an hour and 15 minutes away, so he wasn't concerned. Joe has admitted he wasn't 100% prepared when he jumped into the deep end and started his own search. For more than 30 years, he had lived with the diseased hip that eventually gave out, requiring hip replacement surgery. Handling surgery preparation on his own as an adult versus when his parents handled his medical needs when he was a kid ignited curiosity about his medical history. He wondered what happened years ago when his birth mother was pregnant. He was curious about who his birth father was and the dynamic between them. Throughout my life, I thought of my biological parents often. Many nights, you know, quietly, I think I just hope my mother knows that I'm okay, mostly because mothers, you know, they worry about their children supposedly more than their, you know, the father does. But I always just wanted to let her know I'm okay. You know, I, I'm all right. 
Joe started digging into his history, finding out where his records were through Catholic charities. He went to the courthouse where Joe found documentation of what transpired in 1958 and 59. Uncovering new information about his past, Joe realized he was hooked on his search. The medical records were still important, but emotionally, I, I saw things saying, you need to go through all the way through this because not just for the medical records, you're hooked. You, you want to know. You want to know who your family is. And curiosity got the better of me, and I, and I started. And I'm glad I did. I went through some difficult times with it, but I'm glad I did. And once I got started, there was no stopping. I always call it Pandora's box. And I tell people that once you start your search, there's no going back. Because you've opened up that box, and the only thing you can do at one point is say, I can't do this and walk away. But other than that, once you open it up, it's like a train ride. You get on it, and you just don't want to stop. You want to keep going to the next stop and keep going. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. As you were speaking, I was thinking of it like once your curiosity is sparked about something, you can't unspark it. You know, think, think of how many times in this modern age when you've thought to yourself something interesting, like, you know, I, I wonder how far the North Star is from us. And you reach in your pocket, yeah. you Google it, and your curiosity is satisfied. Like the curiosities that come up, like, I wonder where my biological mother's from. And you can't unscratch that. Like, you have to scratch that itch. You yep. can't just say, never mind, I don't want to know anything about her. Once you've begun that process of starting to be curious, you can't not be curious anymore. It's just, I just don't think it's possible. Yeah, I, I, and I agree with you. And, and I'm sure that there are some people out there that, that can do it, but I'm willing to bet those numbers are very, very low. Once yeah. you get on that train, you're taking that ride. Yeah, and I believe that it's probably also because something else stopped them in their tracks. Like... If you were curious about perhaps your natural father, but your reunion with your natural mother didn't go very well, then you could see how that would be a deterrent from being curious about him. Remember, Joe was born in Worcester, Massachusetts, about 30 miles west of Boston, but for about 10 years, they lived in East Bridgewater, a suburb of Boston. When he launched his search prior to hip surgery, Joe uncovered just how close he had been to his family. When I did my search, and again, the key to this is I was born in Worcester. I found out that my biological mother was right in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, the town I grew up in. My adopted parents had no idea where I was from. They had a house built less than a mile, about a mile from my biological mother, and about two miles from my biological father. What? That's amazing. It's incredible. What was going on in your life at that time? I was um, getting ready to have my hip replaced. Mm -hmm. um, I was fixing some demons because of some things going on. Because of my adoption search and some other things, medical things going on, you know, getting repaired. I put the bottle down. I, I was I was an alcoholic, functioning. I worked. I was, I was a workaholic, alcoholic. That helped a lot. That helped clear up a lot of things to make this ride that I was more doable because if I kept drinking, it probably would have turned into a disaster. So I put down the bottle and concentrated on getting not only myself physically well, but emotionally and mentally well with the upcoming search that I was putting myself into. And then emotionally getting attached because here's, here's a town that I never wanted to leave. It was a town I grew up in. It was a town I was accepted in. And my biological family came from there. 
So now the roller coaster is going at a much quicker pace, and it's getting a little scary. And unfortunately for Joe, me, Joe didn't prepare well, and at that point he got involved with, I just got to do this. And I wasn't prepared for the rejection. It hit hard. Joe's investigation put him in touch with some people who were around when his birth mother was pregnant. He went to the high school his birth mother attended to chat with some folks who recalled her situation before she was sent to Worcester to give birth to Joe. He relayed the new details to his social worker who got in touch with his birth mother. The information was sent to my biological mother and she called my social worker immediately and said that he needs, he needs to stop. I can't handle this right now. And I wasn't prepared for that. Wow. I was, I was a little, I was, I was a little foolish at not preparing myself for that. Because at the time, all of the talk shows were flooded with adoptions and adoption reunions. You're talking about the early 90s, where everybody was getting reunited. It was a big, big subject. It was all over the place. So I just never thought of the possibility of rejection. And it came. But thank God I had fixed some of the things I had fixed. And I was able to concentrate on getting myself better physically to start with. And then I ended up going to college after I got my hip replaced. I couldn't go back to the physical work, so I went to college, which helped. It helped educate me and give me a direction. But in the process, again, you know, once you start, you open that Pandora's box. Well, I opened up a whole bunch of them. So what came into became interesting is not only did I find out that my mother was in the same town that I grew up in, I had a biological brother also grew up in that town. He's significantly younger than me. He was eight years younger. But so now I opened up that box as well. Yeah. So let me just, let me pause you for a minute because there's a couple of things that I'd love to just go back to for a moment. First, you said that you very intentionally, it sounds like, decided that it was time to cease your alcoholism to your consumption and and was that because you were preparing to be in reunion or was it that you knew you needed to do it something else was going on and reunion was possibly coming like was it the catalyst or was it one of many factors in your it was it was it was the biggest factor of, of a few yes i had gone out one night and this is after I get the rejection. And I was out, and I was actually at a Bruins game with some friends, and I, and I left there. And the thought ran through my mind very, very quickly that, you know, I should go and talk to her and let her know that I'm a good person. And then, obviously, that, that fleeting moment went away. And I went home, and I got up in the morning and said, you're all done. You can't keep doing this. This is stupid. You know, you almost made the biggest mistake of your life of that, you know, thinking it was okay with alcohol to do something that is as serious and impersonal and important to you. You need to stop. So in preparation for a hip replacement, moving forward and not being stupid, because I didn't want to bring that appearance to people who I was trying to impress or or uh, I don't want to use that word. I want to use gain acceptance from perhaps gain acceptance to yeah, be accepted by you know you certainly don't want to be a fool yeah and i certainly didn't want to be a fool and i was being one and i wanted to stop that behavior yeah that's 
really impressive. There's I interviewed a guest recently who basically said that the opposite happened for her. She's an, a late discovery adoptee, and unfortunately, she turned to alcohol as a means by which to cope because she found out at a very late stage in her life. And and yep. she expressed some regret for how that piece of her reaction unfolded. And it's I find it interesting that you caught yourself before going too far with alcohol as a crutch in your journey. And it's just an interesting juxtaposition between the two of you. So the social worker has reached out to your biological mother and your biological mother has said, I can't handle this right now. Is that basically Did you take the right now piece as maybe later? Yep. I sat by the phone in the uh, mailbox for a couple of few years waiting to get that letter. I'm ready now. On that phone call, I'm ready now. It never came. I'm sorry to hear that. That's really tough. I learned to I learned to accept it. It was not. It was difficult for a long time. But I learned to accept it. I had to for my own good, my own health, my own mental health, my own emotional health. I had to accept the fact that I may never, ever meet this woman, even though geographically we're very, very close. Yeah, that's got to be so tough. It was tough for a long time, Damon. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to play the tough guy. Oh, don't, it didn't bother me. It bothered me a lot. I lost sleep. You know, thank God I quit the drinking because it could have pushed me even further into some really bad places. I was already in pretty rough shape at the time, but I was... I guess fortunate enough, and I guess I had a good re- you know, support system around me that was able to pull me through some of the most difficult times. Joe told me part of his support system was his parents when they were alive. Joe's brother Lou was supportive, but nervous that the ordeal would push Joe back into drinking. But their bond opened a door for Joe to be able to talk about what he was feeling. Joe also sought professional mental health support. I got some counseling, which I thought was really important for me. It helped me understand that it's not me. That was really important. I mean, and that was the first thing that everybody, it's not you. It's not you. It's okay. Chill out. But you still have that for a little while. And then you realize it's not you. It's I can't control how she feels about this. Just because I'm excited, just because I'm elated, just because I want it, doesn't mean that she has to agree with all that. And once I realized that, emotionally, I came, became stronger. Yeah, that's incredible. So there wasn't. You touched on something interesting that I hadn't contemplated directly. I know that it, the impact is out there, but you alluded to the fact that, you know, in the 90s, and I can almost picture, you know, a Phil Donahue or a Maury Povich or some yep. kind of television talk show that shows the reunification of families. And, you know, yep. it's this live event that's very exciting. But it also depicts that that's possible for everybody, right? Because there is no show that is, you know, today we have adoptees who whose parents we couldn't find and who refused to uh, be in contact with them. That's that's not a show that doesn't make television. And And that's exactly what it is. Everybody wants a happy ending. And that's not the way a lot of these turn out. Or at least closure, for lack of a better word. You can't have an open ended television show 
where you, you know, you've got this guest who's sitting on stage and you're waiting for the adopted, you know, the biological parent to come out and they never come out. That doesn't work, right? No. And so no, we, advertisers don't want to spend money on that. <laughs> yeah. So, so we would have all associated ourselves with these reunion stories on TV. And it, I've had more than one guest say that that scenario of a show sparked their own search. Correct. But it absolutely does not prepare you for the possibility that you could be on that show that doesn't air because the, the natural parent never came out to meet you. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's really fascinating because it that that whole show setup created a mindset. It did. Yeah, it that's did. interesting. And it, and, it, and it blinded me a little bit, but again, it's not the show's fault. It's my fault for not absolutely you know, try to look past that. But the, the, like you said, the depiction of the whole thing is brings its false sense of security, and it can be bothersome. It can go bad, and that's yeah. not fair. Joe's brother is eight years younger than himself on his maternal side. I wondered if, since his birth mother couldn't handle meeting Joe, if he reached out to his new sibling. Joe said, one day during his search, his now ex-wife was out to dinner with a friend. Her friend asked how Joe was coming with his search for his family. His ex-wife started to talk about Joe finding his birth mother, her unwillingness to connect with Joe, and the fact that he had a maternal brother. And then she said, well, what about his brother? And she, he said, oh, he's got a name. And she blurted out the name. And the, and, the, and the friend that she was with dropped her salad fork into her plate and looked up and said, he's at my house right now putting my eating system in. Shut up. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. Oh, my gosh. And I knew this. I mean, this is a couple that we went out to dinner, you know, quite a few times, hung out with, you know, quite a bit. And they finished their dinner and they raced over to the house. It just left. But once they told this young lady's husband, they were good friends. So I then reached out to his dad, my brother's stepfather. I reached out to him. I sent a letter. And he responded by calling me and said, let's get together and talk about this. And I sat down with him and explained, look, here's what's going to happen. If, I don't, if you don't tell him, you know, I'm going to have to tell him because if we don't, you know, a friend, of his, and I don't think that's where it should come from. And he agreed, so he sat down with Ned and, and my brother Ned and told him that what it was all about. And he was very excited. He, you know, he, he kissed his mom and he said, "Look, you know, I understand, but I also need to go see my brother." And we've had a, a long-term relationship. We've had a couple things, you know, come and go because of life. But you know, we, we're still in contact. He's a great guy. He looked a lot like me for the first time in my life. I actually met somebody that looked like me, and it made made me very comfortable with who I was. And what I look like. Yeah. When you get that mirror later in your life, it is so yes. validating. It's crazy. Yes. It's, and that's a great word it is. It's validating. It's acknowledgement. And, you know, everybody wants to be acknowledged. Let's, you know, seriously, everybody wants to have some piece of them understood. And now I had that viability. And, you know, it was, it, it meant the world to me. You know, it's, some people, it's finding the original birth certificate. That, that, that helps a lot too. But, to actually see another person that, you know, is your relative, that is your blood, it, it's just absolutely amazing. It, 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 it was on cloud nine the first night I met him. I'll bet. I'll bet. Now, Joe was the oldest son in two different families, his adopted family and his maternal biological family. But as he was going through his search, Joe had to think about whether he wanted to reach out to this mystery man given his experience with his birth mother's secondary rejection. 
but then there was a big gap. And you talked about it earlier about, you know, did the negativity stop you from moving forward to maybe making something positive, finding your, your biological father? Was it worth it at that point? I had to do a little research. A couple names came up, and they were dead ends. How did you learn who you could possibly be looking for during this search back in the 90s? How could you? Ah. Even, how did you get a clue? Ah, it's called research. I started getting around East Bridgewater. I went to the library and looked at different town records, yearbooks. I went to the high school, and the librarian there befriended me right away. When I walked into the library, she said, can I help you? And I said, yes, I'm looking to do a little research. And she did a double take, and she said to the two students standing at the thing she said hold on just a second she turned to me and she said i want you to go sit in that, my reference room over there and i'll be in work in a minute i know exactly what you're looking for really? and she took care of the students the bell rang for everyone to go home she sat in the reference room and she said i know who you are and i know why you're here what yeah she said i've been teaching at the school for 40 years and i was here when your mother was pregnant with you no way absolutely Wonderful lady. We became very, very good friends. Sweet, sweet lady that I owe a lot to. Wait, how did she know it was you? She could tell by looking at me. She was one of those people that knew everything. She just was that. She was all that in a cup of coffee, David. I'm telling you, she was sharp. And Yo, when I said that's I was amazing. Yeah, it was. It was, and it, and it put a whole, in, in an hour, she put a whole bunch of pieces together. And she started giving me the opportunity to go look at some things on the biological father side as well. Yo, if she hadn't been there, if she had retired, maybe not even been right. there that day. Right. I mean, you that's really unbelievable. That's incredible. It would have made my search more difficult. Mm-hmm. So this is the high school that I would have been going to if I didn't move from, you know, down the street, next town over. I'd have been going to the school. The irony again here is this woman was very good friends with my grandmother, my biological mother's mother. Mm -hmm. She was the cafeteria manager in the same high school. Is that right? <sighs> oh, my God. And you can't make this stuff up. So the whole town knew not only me, but they knew my biological family. That's really interesting. So wait, 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 wait. Because I realize... There's a piece of what you're saying that says the librarian knew your mom, yep. presumably knew your dad. You yep. almost went to that high school, and you grew up in the community. So anybody who Got knew it. the parents were probably able to whisper and be like, there goes so-and-so's yep. kid, right? Yep. Wow. That's, exactly what That's unreal. So there was this secret identification of you as their kid swirling around you that you didn't actually know was happening. Yeah, so the big secret really wasn't a secret. Yeah, right, right. For a better for a better term, the big secret was really not a secret. Yeah. The secret's only a secret to the person who doesn't know. If everybody else knows yeah, it's not a secret at all. That's crazy. Yeah. The librarian hinted at who Joe's biological father could be. Joe contacted the guy, but the man told Joe it wasn't him. It was probably another guy. 
When Joe researched the next guy, he found out the man had a wife and four kids, so Joe pulled back. He thought about what he might disrupt if he stepped forward as a fifth child of this man. He didn't want to disrupt the guy's life and their family, and after being rejected by his birth mother and the first guy that he thought was his father, Joe needed a breather. He put down the paperwork documenting his search and took a break. Joe took a moment to go back and talk about someone significant in his reunion journey. I have to digress. I, I, I knew this young lady in East Bridgewater. We grew up together. We were friendly, and then we ended up working together. Well, when I did my research, I found that young lady was my cousin. Really? On my mother's side, yes. Wow. She was actually, technically she was a second cousin. Her mother and my biological mother are cousins. That's really incredible. Small, so yo, small you, towns are like that, though, you know? Well, there you go. So before you ask, no, we did not date. We were just very close friends. We, we, we hung out. We partied. We had a bunch of laughs. We had some fun times. But no, we did not date. But yeah. that was the one thing that my mother was afraid of. She That's had that fear of coming home with my sister or my cousin and everything just kind of being blown out of proportion when we dug into the whole thing. But and I, and I introduced my cousin Ellen because she became very significant later on in finding my biological father and my siblings. Everything is connected, Damon. It's really, it is something special. Ellen and Joe got very close over the years, spending time with one another's families at each other's houses and developing a great bond. Joe said it was almost 25 years before he picked up his search again. Speculating on the name Joe had for his birth father and whether it was really that guy, Ellen shared that she knew one of the man's sons, possibly Joe's brother. She gave Joe a picture of the man who could possibly be his brother, but Joe wasn't ready to move forward with making a connection quite yet. Joe needed a moment to digest what the possibilities were, so he asked Ellen for a little bit of time. Ellen decided she wanted to help Joe along, so she contacted her girlfriend, who was dating Joe's brother, and shared the whole story. The next day, Joe had a Facebook friend request from the brother's girlfriend. She also told her boyfriend, I think we found a brother of yours. He then texted me and I called him and we, we had a conversation. And He said, so who's your mom? I told him, you know, how'd you find out about us? I told him. And I said, look, I don't know if your father is my, my father. I don't even know if he knows I'm alive. And he goes, well, he knows all about you. He sat us down about 15 years ago and told us all about you. We've been looking for you ever since. Oh, wow. And, of course, we both started crying like babies. Oh. I mean, like, we cried for 15 minutes on the phone. Every time we'd run into each other, we'd cry now. I mean, that is awful, but... <laughs> I've been there, um, man. You get these two burly guys that, you know, look like lumberjacks, and they're crying. Like, yeah. It's just, it's an emotional game, game. We've already touched on that. It is such an emotional game, and and it's not really a game, but it's an emotional piece of life. And yeah. So he got off the phone. He said, I'm going to go tell Dad, and I'm going to tell my mom, and I'm going to get my siblings together. And about 10 days later, we got together. And it was a wonderful reunion. I have a video of my dad um, walking up to me and, and hugging me from his garage that I keep and I play off. And everything went as, as bad as the other situation was with my mom. The my father, that whole thing was just beautiful. It was, it was an experience. It, it completed me. It made me feel whole. It brought so many pieces together. 
and now I'm the oldest in that family too. So I'm the oldest in three families. That's incredible. I was I was raised one of four, now I'm one of ten. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. So Thanks. my dad, my father, the guy that raised me was the greatest man I ever met in my life. Don't ever get me wrong, man. He was a wonderful man. But then I met my biological father, and he was just a sweetheart, too. A great guy that I enjoyed spending time with. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. So tell me so, about that first meeting. So how, how, was, you arranged was, to meet at his I, house. Tell me how you were feeling, like, the night before and stuff. Oh, I couldn't sleep. You know, I'm sitting there talking to my wife. She says, you better calm down. You're going to lose your mind. I said, I can't wait. I can't wait. I was like a little kid waiting for Christmas to come along. It was awful. But it was all good thoughts. I'm going, I can't wait. It's going to put so many things to rest. It's going to bring some peace to my dad, who really wanted. I talked to a couple of my siblings. My father's been looking at you. He just, you know, he's just so excited. And I pulled up to the house, and he come out. And unfortunately, his legs had gotten pretty rough himself, so he was on a cane. But we hugged, and we were just, we were so overwhelmed. And I looked around, like I'm looking over my dad's shoulder. And I see all these people standing there, and I'm trying to figure out all the pieces. And I look up, and my brother Michael come over, and he, and he just started laughing, and he gave me a big hug. And he said, brother, I waited so long, and it was just amazing. That's awesome. Wow. Joe shared that if his adopted family had stayed in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, his adopted siblings and biological siblings would have been at the same school in the same graduating classes. His brother Louie would have graduated with his biological brother Rich, the oldest on his paternal biological side. Joe's sister would have graduated with another brother, and his youngest brother would have graduated with a paternal sister. And one sibling pair actually did graduate together from East Bridgewater High School, and they were friends in that class. So it brings so many things out that when you talk about adoption and biological meetings and adopted families and there are just so many things that tie together my story is every time i tell it people do it that's amazing that's just insane and i and i said you know i i have all the documents to prove it because who believe it if i were and i started writing my book and i i, I keep stopping i don't know why but who'd read it because they're going to go this is garbage this is this is bs this can't happen this isn't true this is a twilight zone for crying out loud Yo, this, I mean, this is the thing. This is how crazy our stories are. And they are. it's, you know, they're not always this crazy, but the no. emotional gravity of them can be equally, if not more, you know, heavy than what you've expressed. Some of them are lighter stories. Some of them are very, you know, deep and trauma filled and dramatic. I mean, it's just such an, a, a wide array of experiences out here. Yeah. It's just unreal. Yeah. I've heard some horror stories. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you have, too. Oh, I've heard some absolutely. really horror stories, and it's sad. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I try to be careful on the show with regard to that because I don't like to just paint the awesome rescue story with the rosy reunions you know, that it's just not true. And every person who, even the, the people who have told what you could loosely categorize as like 
the most uplifting stories. And I don't know the right words to sort of use. I, I struggle with this sometimes. Like I say good about good adoption and bad adoption for simplicity's sake, but that's not really a good no. nomenclature for how to categorize them. But for those who have had amazing reunions that are laughter filled tear jerkers at some point before that, there was probably a low point of self-doubt and worry, concern, challenges, and, and all kinds of things that they had to surmount to make yes. that thing be as awesome as it was to them. Absolutely. You know, it, it is a high because there was a low. And so I, I'm always cautious to not paint everybody's reunion journey in such a way that it seems like they're all just awesome because they are just not. Recall that Joe's brother Lou is also adopted. Joe said that after he found his birth father, Lou asked Joe to help him find his birth family too. Joe said that while 2020 was a rough year, one positive thing that happened was Lou was able to find his family and get a lot of questions answered for himself. Unfortunately, Joe and his new siblings lost their father last year as well. Apparently, he had been sick and it was his time to pass on to relieve his pain. He was sick. He had to go because he he was just that sick. He, it wasn't fair to him because he just was in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. He was very, very ill. I cherish every minute I had him. That's great. I had about two and a half years with him. And, you know, and I have my siblings still. And we get together. We're going to get together tomorrow at the cemetery and, and salute Dad. And then we're going to go have a, a bite to eat and, and hang out. I spent Christmas with my new, with, I call them my new siblings. I spent Christmas with them, mm -hmm. uh, which typically I never left the house because, you know, when my daughter was born in 2000, my wife and I said, no, we're not going to hand her a bunch of toys and say psych and then drive around all day. People want to see her, they can come here. And we always stayed home. Mm -hmm. But the last, you know, now Emma's a little older. The last three years we've been, you know, we've been going to my, we've going to my dad's. This year my sister held it. So, sure. uh, but we all get together and, the love and the happiness and the joy and the satisfaction, you know, they looked for me for years and I was looking for them and we were down the street. It was just, gosh. And here's the thing. My, my father and I have mutual friends. Really? My biological father and my adoptive father had mutual friends. Wow. And I talk to them all the time and they go, that's mind blowing because I know both those guys because they're both great guys. That's really awesome. It's always interesting to me to hear how frequently the adoptee is the centerpiece that connects so many people, you yes. know, that they were right in the middle of all of these yep. relationships. I mean, clearly your dad and dad both had, you know, mutual relationships with friends in common absent you. But to know that you were in some way in the middle of this web, even though you weren't known to everybody. It's just always an interesting thing for me to try to fathom. It's cool. It, it, it just, and it's, when all those pieces together, unfortunately, both of my fathers are gone. I wish that my adoptive father had lived long enough to meet my biological father because they would have had a great, they were both mechanics, mechanically inclined. Mm -hmm. They knew the same people. They ran in the same circles. Mm -hmm. They were both hard workers. You know, it, the first, the first Christmas I, I, I met my dad, my father, the first Christmas we had together, he's always oh, just talking to my friend on the phone, and I was telling him, yeah, my son's coming over, oh, that's wonderful, blah, 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 blah. I said, who's your friend? He said, oh, you wouldn't know him. He's a little younger than me and a little older than you, and he told me his, his name, and I said, you mean from the mobile station downtown in East Bridgewater? And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, 
And I said, oh, yeah, I've known him since I was like eight years old. He used to hang out with my father at the gas station. They used to meet mechanics together. Well, he calls this guy up. A couple days later, he says, hey, do you know Joe Zinni? He says, the old man of the kid. <laughs> and he says, so you do know him? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, why? And he says, that's who my son is. He says, the first time in 50 years of knowing this guy is he was speechless. And then he says, and I'll keep it clean, but he said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> he said, I've known that kid since he was six years old, eight years old. Wow. What are the odds, Dan? That's unreal, man. That's so cool. So we always had, a, my dad and I, when we'd, get to, we'd talk about people that we both knew and we'd laugh. We probably drank together at the same, because I used to go to the same places he did back when I was drinking. To know that your town was small enough that so many people knew who you were, and some knew your relationship to other people secretly. I mean, wow, that's really fascinating, man. It's mind-blowing. But then in, in, in turn, it puts so much of my life, the pieces that I've always wanted to come together, it puts those pieces together even better. Because everything is connected. Like you said, I'm a, I'm a focal point of a whole bunch of people that supposedly didn't know each other, and yet they did. Joe had one more story to tell. He reconnected with a cousin on Facebook who shared the news that Joe had another brother. Of course, Joe said, yeah, I know. I met my paternal family, and he felt like he had everything all figured out. He goes, no, no, no. You have another one. My mother had given another baby up for adoption three years later. What? Are you serious? That's crazy. And he was in Connecticut. And through ancestry, found my cousins. And then we hooked up and we've you know, been pals ever since. That was uh, back in 2018. Wow. What did you think when you heard that, that there was another adoptee? Blew my mind. What did it what did it do for your thoughts about your biological mother's mind state toward meeting you? I got a little angry and a little hurt that I didn't know that I had another brother. I, I again I had to work through that and make that anger go away because it was only stopping me from enjoying what was happening around me that I had just met, you know, four more siblings. And I had to put the anger away and realize that she has her reasons for being who she is and what she, and how she wants to handle it. I can't control that. And right. it wouldn't be fair for me to try to. I mean, on several occasions, because I know where she lives. I drive by her house quite often. That I could have stopped, but I didn't do that because I didn't believe in invading her privacy. I didn't think that that was right. Now, that being said, if I'm out in public and I happen to bump into her, that's her problem. That's not mine. I need to be able to live. I need to be able to go out. I need to be able to see my father being in the same town as her. If we run into each other, that's off of me. Mm-hmm. But to purposely walk up to her door and knock on it, I couldn't do that because it's an invasion of her privacy, and I don't think that that's fair, and I'm trying to be fair about it. Yeah. I wouldn't want it done to me. So I agree. But I think um, it's interesting, too, though, that part of your initial feeling of rejection was all about you as the re- adoptee returning Correct. to this woman and and at no point could you have ever known that her inability to connect with you wasn't just about you but that there were actually two boys Correct. and that your emergence was bringing back possibly 
double the pain and and Correct. double the memories and everything. I mean, that's a really I've not heard anybody say before this particular piece of rejection and then finding out there was another adoptee out there. <clears throat> and I could see how that would be excessively challenging for her to relive and and yes. try to connect with you. That's I mean, wow, tough. And I think that's got a lot to do with her emotional state through all of it. She just turned 79 and is not healthy. My dad would have been 80 back a couple of days ago. He passed away last year because he wasn't healthy. But here in turn saved my life because I did know about some of the biological medical conditions. And a couple of years ago, I was struggling with some issues. So I went and got a physical, and then I went and had some testing done on my heart. And in the process, they said, well, we don't know what's going on. And I said, look, I, I found my biological father. He has a bad heart. He has bad arteries. He has arterial sclerosis. I need to follow this all the way through. I said, otherwise, I would just consider it anxiety. But I know it's not. It's mm -hmm. more than that. Well, they did a cath test, and they found three blockages in my heart. Wow. They put a stent in. So finding my biological father and getting the information on my biological mother that she had a heart condition actually saved my life. Oh, yeah. Dang, that's amazing. So that's that's all the pieces being tied in. There's the fun pieces of finding all these friends, mutual friends, siblings, everyone knowing each other. But what's really important is my 20-year-old daughter still has her father around to be with her. Because I was fortunate enough to advocate for myself, which I couldn't do all my life. I had no medical history. People would say, well, you know, is there heart disease in your family? I don't know. I'm a doctor. So what a valuable piece it was for me to get that medical information. And when I was having a heart problem, we were able to fix that. Yeah, that's right. Because not to be morbid, but that could have been a very quick end. And yes. that would have been extremely yes. unfortunate. That's really great. And I'm glad you're here to tell the story. That's amazing. Well, I'm happy to be here to tell the story, and I, I appreciate the fact that you reached out back to me, and we had a chance to, to talk, because I do love my story. I'm a, I'm a proud adoptee. I can tell that you are, too. I, like I said, I listen to you often. You get it. I, I listen to you, and, and just talking with you tonight, you understand all the pieces to it, and it's nice to know that. Yeah. Well, I've learned a lot from speaking to guests like you, because as we said in the beginning, our experiences are vastly different. And, yeah. you know, yes, I mean, they just are. And I have one experience and I'm sure that if you've listened to any piece of my story, which is not like yours, you would have learned something from me just as I have sitting here listening to you tell yours. And this, sure. this is why I feel privileged to be able to do this because I learn so much and there are so many just diverse stories out there that I'm really appreciative for people to be able to open up about. So. I hope you will sit down and continue to write your book because there's a lot of color in here that I'm sure you could have filled in, you know, yeah. and uh, and you get to write all the expletives down in terms of what people's responses were when they found out who you were to everybody yeah. else in town. So I'm going to look forward to reading it one day, Joe. When it's done, I'll send you a copy. Fantastic. I will look forward to it, man. Until and then. I'm going to keep an eye out for you as, as well. I, I find you extremely not just knowledgeable, not just emotionally tied to it, but you really care. Yeah. Thanks, man. But you're doing it because you care. Well, that was high praise. I, I 
man, you should see the smile on my face. You really made me feel good, bro. Thanks so much. Well, I appreciate I it. Great talking to you, Joe, man. Thanks so much for your time, and I wish you all the best and continued health, too, okay? Uh, Damon, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for reaching out. I, I appreciate all you do. And if you ever need anything from me, please give me a call. Reach out. I'd do anything to help you. That's, You're a good guy. That's most kind, Joe. Take care, buddy. All the best, all right? You take care. Now. All right, dude. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Joe's journey had such a mix of life experiences. He grew up in a loving family, but struggled with bad legs that got him made fun of when the family moved to a new town. Joe said he found it hard to really identify with himself when he looked in the mirror because he didn't see any resemblance to his family. He talked about the secondary rejection he experienced when he found his biological mother, but Joe never could have known that her state of mind wasn't just focused on his return to her life. She had relinquished his brother after him, so she was reckoning with a much larger reunion situation that he realized. That's one of the big challenges of secondary rejection. You don't actually know whether the person you're trying to connect to is unable to connect with you for certain reasons or if they're just unwilling. It was really cool to hear how close Joe had come to meeting his paternal siblings and how close his adoptive biological fathers and their friends were. I'm glad he got two good years with his biological father before his passing and he got the medical knowledge he needed to manage his own heart condition with his physicians. Joe's is another story underscoring the adoptee's need for accurate, comprehensive medical information. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Joe's story that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash really or follow on Twitter at really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And if you're interested, you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com, on Kindle, or as an audiobook on Audible. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.